through February 28th, get a choice of offers from Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, like up to 24 months no payments and no interest, or up to $1,125 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Look, I understand six months ago, if we would have asked people to identify where Ukraine is on a map, my guess is... Nine out of ten people would not have been able to find it. Maybe nine out of ten people still can't find it. But everybody knows about Ukraine right now because today, for the first time in 75 to 80 years, we've got a shooting war in Europe that is not an internal civil war. This is one country essentially declaring war on another country, moving in. You've got a humanitarian crisis with people pouring out of the through the border. You've got lives lost, and you've got the world kind of in, in turmoil. And for everybody who says, well, you know, what do we care here in the United States about, you know, what happens in Ukraine, all you have to do is just look at what's been going on in the stock market over the last couple weeks. And, and today, again, the stock market created once again as Vladimir Putin undeterred by threats of the United States and the West in general to impose sanctions on Russia he, he's he's going ahead as I said in the the lead-up to the show sometime this hour we're going to hear from President Biden and I want to stress I can't stress this enough I, this is today is one of those days where we're not Republicans we're not Democrats we are Americans I think this this presentation, what we're going to hear from President Biden in the next hour, I think is going to be one of the most significant president speeches of his presidency, maybe one of the most significant speeches that, that any president has given in a long time, because... It's going to be the responsibility of the president, I think, first of all, to to calm the United States, to unite the allies, and to send a clear message that we are going to respond to this aggression in a temperate sort of fashion. I mean, nobody, I think, wants to see the U.S. get involved in a shooting war in Ukraine. But at the same time, there there has to be penalties. You, You cannot allow this gangster dictator to simply declare what is a country and and then move in and take it over. Now, if you look back on on history, I think it's very apparent, and I don't want to make this a political thing, you have one president after another who's gotten it wrong on Russia over the course of the last 30 years. President Trump, I, I think, you know, for whatever reasons, decided he wanted to cozy up to Putin, thinking that, okay, this, this would make things better. That was not that didn't work. And the comments that President Trump made yesterday where he thinks that Putin is a genius, that that's irresponsible in the extreme and certainly not helpful. If you go back and you look at the Obama administration, I, I think it's very clear now that the Obama administration just got it wrong. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I sent out a tweet. This is People forget about this, but during the presidential debates in the 2012 election, you know, Mitt Romney, Barack Obama, Barack Obama running for re-election, and, and the issue came up because Romney before had been asked about you know, the biggest geopolitical threat facing America, and Romney said Russia. That, that, that's what he said in 2012. Well, President Obama, 
at that third debate, decided that he was going to mock Mitt Romney. Governor Romney, I'm glad you recognize that al-Qaeda is a threat, because a few months ago, when you were asked, what's the biggest geopolitical threat facing America, you said Russia. And then, mockingly, Obama says, and the 1980s are now calling to ask for their foreign policy back, because you know the Cold War has been over for 20 years. Well, that particular comment isn't aging very well today, and you can make an argument that by Barack Obama not responding forcefully when Russia invaded Crimea in 2014, that that set the stage for what's going on here. So Trump got it wrong. Obama got it wrong. President Bush, George W., I I think got it wrong because back in, in the eight years that he was in office, what you had is, you know, focus was on al-Qaeda and focus was on the Middle East and, and terrorism after 9-11. And I think people just took the eye, their eye off the ball when it came to Russia and failed to recognize all along that, you know, Russia has been a geopolitical foe of us and has continued to be. And now, because I think not just the United States, but the West in general has adopted policies of appeasement and let's try to work with them and 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 we can you know Putin at heart is a rational sort of guy and we can get things done it's sort of led to where we are now so lots of mistakes have been made and and now you're in a situation where you have not just Ukraine being threatened but then you you've got that whole area of Eastern Europe that's being threatened like I said you have people you know pouring over the border with Poland trying to get out. You've got key European partners like Poland and Romania and the Baltic states. They're now saying, okay, what's, what's going to, you know, happen next? Are we the next in line for this Russia aggression? You've got Finland and Sweden, which are concerned about all this. So you, you have a potential crisis which is is out there. It's been brewing for a long time, and now it's come to a head because Russia has not been afraid of consequences imposed by the West or threatened by the West, and and all the the saber-rattling that we've done hasn't discouraged them. And now that Russia's moving in and has actually declared war effectively against Ukraine, you've got Putin, who is now daring the world. He's saying, well, you know, you've got to understand, we're, we're a nuclear adversary, so if anybody retaliates, against us look out so you know President Biden's got a line to walk especially since nobody in NATO and nobody in the United States I think seriously wants to put boots on the ground all right we we do this from time to time when we have these enormous stories that in my opinion have huge consequences moving forward we're gonna bring you the president's remarks when when he starts but before that I I just want to open up our lines. Our, our number, 855-616-1620. Your reaction to the news today that effectively Russia has invaded Ukraine, bombing cities, demanding that Ukraine surrender, an act of major aggression, which, again, like I say, for the first time in 75 or 80 years, you now have a true shooting war, a battle of uh, a conquest that's been launched by Russia, not a battle that was forced upon them. This is a battle of conquest that's been launched by Russia. Your thoughts and, and, and what we do, 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. WTMJ. 
855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Sometimes this hour, President Biden is scheduled to address the nation, and I, I, I don't mean to underplay this. I th- we're overplayed. I, I think this is one of the most significant addresses of his presidency and um, maybe one of the most significant addresses that we have heard any president give, certainly in the, in the last 20 years or so. You've got a shooting war that has, comp- has the potential to completely destabilize Europe, and it, it's a war purely of aggression. There, there's nothing that required Russia to invade Ukraine except for the fact that they want the territory. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Steve in Milwaukee. Steve, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, my comment here is about, uh, you know, what's the role of the U.N. in all this? this? This is why the U.N. was created after World War II was to prevent things like this from happening. And, and the U.N.'s doing nothing. I mean, the U.N. should immediately expel Russia from the U.N. body, and U.N. troops should be sent over there to, to create the peace. Well, um, thanks for the call, Steve. I, you know, I think it's fair to say that, that the U.N. needs to be forceful. There needs to be a worldwide front that, that is, is put up in this situation. And I, I guess I, the, the problem is if the U.N. gets involved with troops, you're, you have a shooting war which has the potential to dramatically escalate through the region. And, and I'm not sure that that's in, in the best interest. But I, I agree with you. There needs to be at least a, a worldwide response to this. NATO needs to be united. The United Nations needs to be united. And the, the sanctions that are going to be imposed. Now, I, I'm not sure exactly what President Biden's going to be talking about. You know, he, he's threatened a couple sanctions. And, and basically, it's been slaps on the wrist. And it has not deterred Russia. So, so now you you have to ratchet this up, but you you can't even you can't do it in a vacuum. You know the the NATO alliance needs to come together. Uh, you you need to have you know Germany follow through with its plans to kill that that's that Nord two pipeline. You need to have other governments you know freeze Russian assets and their ability to access these things too, which will I, I think by Putin be perceived to be uh, an act of I don't know just uh, an act of retaliation. But but it's too bad. I mean, you, you do have to do things. But I agree with you. This is a situation where there needs to be a consensus. And what you have to have behind the scenes or up front, you need to have the world leaders working together to prevent and to present a united front, front on this. 855-616-1620. Tom in Watertown. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Uh, my Hi, comment Tom. is this. I'm so afraid that right now we are so close on the brink of World War III. Uh, the thing is, the Balkans are so close to what's happening over there and Poland that we need to put troops over there now. We can't be coming back uh, a month and a half later and all of a sudden something does happen over there in the Balkans, and we aren't even prepared for that. We need to put boots on the ground there now. We need to get condemnation for uh, from NATO or from NATO to the Russian uh, uh, oligarchs and say that this is enough. We're not going to put up with this and stand united. Not only there, but in our Congress and our Senate, we need to be 100% behind this president, whether it's Democrat or Republican. I, Tom, what do you see as the end game? I, I mean, let's say, let's say that 
Russia, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I don't see Russia having made the decision to bomb and invade Ukraine. I, I don't see them pulling out. But what, what is the, the end game? Do you let them have Ukraine and impose sanctions and then say, hey, if you go any further, if you move into Poland or you move into Romania or the Baltic states, then we're going to stop you? What, what, where, and I don't have a good answer for this, but again, my question is, what, what do you think the end game is? I think the end game for uh, Russia right now is, and Putin, is that he wants that whole Ukraine. Well, I hate saying this, but we're going to just end up giving it to him anyway. But we're going to have to put so many sanctions on that country that for years and years and years it's going to have to just uh, do damage to that country. But the Balkans is where I'm really worried about. Not only that, but the cyber war that they're going to impose and shutting down uh, utilities and uh and if that happens over in Poland where they miscalculate and they shut down power lines in Poland right. or the Balkans, we are in that's that's a world war. Well right, that and that I mean that's one of the fears. Now, thanks a lot for the call. That that is that is one of the fears. So Russia and let me put it in a more direct way. Okay, so Russia launches a cyber attack in Ukraine designed to disrupt their you know, computer systems and disrupt their air defense systems and things like that. Well, it, it's tough, you know, it, it's tough to say, okay, we're going to launch a cyber attack on Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or Chicago, and, and not have it bleed over into Racine or Kenosha or whatever. So that's one of the concerns. You launch a cyber attack to try to disrupt Ukrainian services, and it bleeds over, and it's disrupting Polish things. And is that is that an act of aggression on Poland? And, and how do you do it? And, and these are, I, mean, I think, the calculation that Putin has made is he can do it and he can get away with it. I, th- what the end game here is is very very troubling. And it's and I look, I do not end. President Biden's re- response to this, because you you are walking a fine line, uh, unless you're going to be completely hawkish and say, okay, well we're we're going to draw a, a bright line in the U- Ukraine. I think most of us, whether you're an American firster or an internationalist, I think most of us would argue, look, this is this is not the battle and the location where you want to fight World War III. Not that you ever want to fight World War III. 855-616-1620. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All this week, WTMJ is celebrating all things Gene Miller with the Wisconsin Morning News host retiring tomorrow. Tune in all week to hear from special guests as we honor and remember his 44 years in broadcasting. Do you have a favorite memory of Gene you'd like to share? There's still time. Call us at 414-203-8105. Leave us a message, and you could hear your comments tomorrow on the air. It's Gene Week. Tomorrow is his last day right here on 620 WTMJ. We're still awaiting the, the president's address to the, the country. Of course, we're going to bring it to you as soon as he's ready to go for that. And we're going to continue our conversation, which is just pretty much of a, a town hall conversation about what we do, given the developments, not just of the last week or two, but the developments of today, where you have Russia that has absolutely invaded. Uh, another country in in an action of of conquest. Some of the things, and I don't know what the end game is, and and I don't know that anybody does. Some of the things that I think that you need to do is, first of all, you need to recognize that Russia is a threat, and we, we do have key European partners in the area, like Poland, Romania, and the Baltic states, and in many cases, they have They've requested to, to purchase military hardware from from the United States. 
I think those things need to be expedited, you know, in a big way. I think one of the things we need to look at is Finland and Sweden have, you know, been been thinking about wanting to become NATO members, and maybe we should open it up to that. I think, you know, if you're going to hit Russia, what you have to recognize is unlike China, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on, unlike China, the economy of Russia is based on one thing, and, and essentially Russia is a big gas station, that that's that's what it is. It's oil production, and, and I think you know right now what we have to recognize is you know we have to stand up globally and say we're going to shut off the, the spigot, and so that means okay that that Nord Stream two pipeline. Boom, it, it, it's got to be closed down. It means that America's in energy independence needs to be, I think, encouraged, which for me, I would say, okay, maybe, Mr. President, maybe what you need to do is perhaps rethink uh, that Keystone II pipeline situation. Um, I, I think that, you know, we also have to say, you know, real serious consequences, and, and those will be the sanctions that I think hopefully President Biden will, will roll out. But the sanctions can't be just imposed by the United States. This does need to be a worldwide effort if we are going to deal with this. So it, it, it's just, I don't know how to describe this other than to say, you know, if it's not a mess, it's going to do until the real mess rolls around. And I, I don't envy anybody's position on this. And it just so gratuitous is so unnecessary, but it's been brought about, I think, by decades of miscalculation by the West, by Republican presidents, by Democrat presidents, over the threat that Russia has always posed. And now those chickens are coming home to roost. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We are, of course, awaiting President Biden's remarks. Um, as soon as we had a two-minute warning, we'll let you know. Matt in Burlington. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I, my, my personal view is I think Putin has hugely overplayed his hand, and he's basically limited his own days now. I mean, Russia has the GDP, the equivalent of the, size, the state of Texas. They're right. largely an irrelevant gas station, like you said. And the oligarchs, and now the people, if you look on uh, a Twitter thread from the crisis, the St. Petersburg uh, anti-war protests are starting to show up. So the people and the oligarchs aren't going to put up with this for very long. Well, but what, I mean, do you really think that there's going to be an internal revolt where, where Putin would be thrown out of power? I mean, do you really think that that's a likelihood? I think it's very possible if the... West and NATO, as you said, is united, which it appears that they largely are. I mean, it may take a year, two years. They're, the military ops, the military options in Ukraine are horrible, and Russia is going to dominate. Period. That's just right. Um, but long term, with the sanctions, I don't think that he's going to survive this. This was an emotional, not a rational decision. That's why we can't figure out the end game. Is he just wants to, I mean, as Macron said, there's a different Putin here. This is not the same person that people were dealing with a year ago. Yeah. Now, thanks for calling. Yeah, th- thanks for calling, Matt. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't have the, I don't have the answers. I mean, I guess, you know, you're, you're right that at least a, a lot of the intelligence suggests that there's a huge problem going on in, in Russia and they're not that supportive. Mike and Holy Hill. Mike, you're on WTMJ. 
Yeah, I just wanted to make a comment about you were um, you stated that it's like 30 years of bad policies and um, mm-hmm. President Biden, he was he was in that, you know, the whole thing all along for as many years as he's been in there. One administration with Obama. Now he took over his his administration decides we're going to go with the new Green Deal. That was the open door for Putin. And I think, in my personal opinion, I think China is going to back Putin. There's going to be a major war, and I think it's going to be a long war that we're all well, going to be involved in. It doesn't look good. Well, th- thanks for calling. I hope you're wrong. I mean, that's th- that. I mean, that's the other big fear that, that's out there is that um, it, we impose economic sanctions on on Russia and China. Which, which, as unlike Russia, China, which has a, a huge global economy and is a big trade partner of ours and stuff, if China comes in and says, "Okay, all these sanctions that the U.S. is imposing on Russia, what we're going to do is we're we're going to open up stuff and we're going to essentially try to undermine those and we're going to try to develop this relationship with China with Russia." And by the way, we're also now looking at moving on Taiwan. If all that ends up happening, you're you're right. You're you're talking about. You're talking about if if today is a mess, you're talking about you know a, a mess with hair on it. There's just no doubt about it. Let's talk to Jeremy and Racine. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi, the Jeremy. biggest concern I have are the unknown variables. That the last 20 years of war fighting in the United States that we've dealt with with in Afghanistan and Iraq is the unknown variables. Once we swept aside Iraq's military. Then you had outside actors coming into the country and creating uh, guerrilla warfare type uh, fighting insurgencies. And that's right. the biggest concern in, in, in Ukraine. I mean, the last thing the EU wants is to have another failed state like Syria at their back door. And that's what makes a lot of people nervous. And how we position our troops in the next coming weeks and months, I certainly hope that Sound minds know exactly what they're doing and try to posture our militaries in a manner that is not going to provoke any, any further escalation. Because as simple as somebody coming in from Poland, you know, and start creating insurgency operations from Poland into uh, Ukraine, and then there's another match stick. So, yeah, it can. It's the unknown variables that make a lot of people nervous. Well, right, and if you know, if you look at your your world history, if you go back to World War One and what started World War One, it was a lot of miscommunications, and it was you know a, a shooting of an archduke in an obscure sort of country, and next thing you know, you've got the alliances, and then you're off to the races, and it's it, it's except now we've got nuclear weapons <laughs> that are involved, and, and so right. it is a very very scary time. Yeah, no, no question yes, about sir. it. Thanks to call, I appreciate, it. and I, I and I wish I look I. I just the, the reason we're doing this in this way is I, I think it's it's impossible to downplay how significant the the challenge to world peace is. And you know we, we we've talked a lot about you know geopolitical threats and things like that over the years. But I I, I do. I, I do think that what is going on today in U- Ukraine, and I'm trying to be as, as you know open-minded and moderate about it as possible but i think this is one of the greatest threats to world security well, well certainly you know you, you had 9-11 but but before that i think you have to go back to the cuban missile crisis and in that case situation it was the u.s's security that was directly threatened let's take a quick break back with more in just a minute this is jeff wagner welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj 
This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is um, Ridgetop Exteriors. With over 20 years in business, contact Ridgetop Exteriors today to build, improve, or repair your home. Get the Ridgetop Advantage and call 414-244-9416 or visit them at RidgetopExteriorsMKE.com. All right, here's President Biden. Human suffering. For weeks, for weeks, we have been warning that this would happen. And now it's unfolding largely as we predicted. In the past week, we've seen shelling increase in the Donbass, a region in eastern Ukraine controlled by Russian-backed separatists. Rus- the Russian government has perpetrated cyber attacks against Ukraine. We saw a staged political theater in Moscow, outlandish and baseless claims that Ukraine was, a, Ukraine was about to invade and launch a war against Russia, that Ukraine was prepared to use chemical weapons, that Ukraine committed a genocide. Without any evidence, we saw a flagrant violation of international law in attempting to unilaterally create two new so-called republics on sovereign Ukrainian territory. And at the very moment that the United Nations Security Council was meeting to stand up for Ukraine's sovereignty, to stave off invasion, Putin declared his war. Within moments, moments, missile strikes began to fall on historic cities across Ukraine. Then came the air raids, followed by tanks and troops rolling in. We've been transparent with the world. We've shared declassified evidence about Russia's plans and cyber attacks and false pretexts so that there could be no confusion or cover-up about what Putin was doing. Putin is the aggressor. Putin chose this war. And now he and his country will bear the consequences. Today, I'm authorizing additional strong sanctions and new limitations on what can be exported to Russia. This is going to impose severe cost on the Russian economy, both immediately and over time. We have purposely designed these sanctions to maximize the long-term impact on Russia and to minimize the impact on the United States and our allies. And I want to be clear, the United States is not doing this alone. For months, we've been building a coalition of partners representing well more than half the global economy. 27 members of the European Union, including France, Germany, Italy, as well as the United Kingdom, Canada, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and many others, to amplify the joint impact of our response. I just spoke with the G7 leaders this morning, and we're in full and total agreement. We will limit Russia's ability to do business in dollars, euros, pounds, and yen to be part of the global economy. We'll limit their ability to do that. We're going to stunt the ability of, to finance and grow Rus- the Russian military. We're going to impose major and we're going to impair their ability to compete in high-tech 21st century economy. We've already seen the impact of our actions on Russia's currency and the ruble, which early today hit its weakest level ever, ever in history. The Russian stock market plunged today. The Russian government borrowing rates spiked by over 15 percent. In today's actions, we've now sanctioned Russian banks that together hold around $1 trillion in assets. We've cut off Russia's largest bank, a bank that holds more than one-third of Russia's banking assets by itself, 
cut it off from the U.S. financial system. And today, we're also blocking four more major banks. That means every asset they have in America will be frozen. This includes VTB, the second largest bank in Russia, which has $250 billion in assets. As promised, we're also adding the names to the list of Russian elites and their family members that are sanctioning, that were sanctioned as well. As I said on Tuesday, these are people who personally gained from the Kremlin's policies and they should share in the pain. We will keep up this drumbeat of those designations against corrupt billionaires in the days ahead. On Tuesday, we stopped the Russian government from raising money from U.S. or European investors. Now we're going to apply the same restrictions to Russia's largest state-owned enterprises, companies with assets that exceed $1.4 trillion. Some of the most powerful impacts of our actions will come over time. As we squeeze Russians' access to finances and technology for strategic sectors of its economy and degrade its industrial capacity for years to come. Between our actions and those of our allies and partners, we estimate that we'll cut off more than half of Russia's high-tech imports. It will strike a blow to their ability to continue to modernize their military. It will degrade their aerospace industry, including their space program. It will hurt their ability to build ships, reducing their ability to compete economically. And it will be a major hit to Putin's long-term strategic ambitions. And we're preparing to do more. In addition to the economic penalties we're imposing, we're also taking steps to defend our NATO allies, particularly in the East. Tomorrow, NATO will convene a summit. We'll be there to bring together the leaders of 30 allied nations and close partners to affirm our solidarity and to map out the next steps we will take to further strengthen all aspects of our NATO alliance. Although we provided over $650 million in defensive assistance to Ukraine just this year, this last year, let me say it again. Our forces are not and will not be engaged in the conflict with Russia in Ukraine. Our forces are not going to Europe to fight in Ukraine but to defend our NATO allies and reassure those allies in the East. As I made crystal clear, the United States will defend every inch of NATO territory with the full force of American power. And the good news is, NATO is more united and more determined than ever. There is no doubt, no doubt that the United States and every NATO ally will meet our Article 5 commitments, which says that an attack on one is an attack on all. Over the past few weeks, I ordered thousands of additional forces to Germany and Poland as part of our commitment to NATO. On Tuesday, in response to Russia's aggressive action, including its troop presence in Belarus and the Black Sea, I've authorized deployment of ground and air forces already stationed in Europe to NATO's eastern flank allies, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, and Romania. Our allies have also been stepping up adding the other allies, the rest of NATO, adding their own forces and capabilities to ensure collective defense. And today, within hours of Russia's unleashing its assault, NATO came together and authorized and activated an activation of response plans. This will enable NATO's high readiness forces to deploy and when and where they are needed to protect our NATO allies on the eastern boundaries of Europe. 
And now I'm authorizing additional U.S. force capabilities to deploy to Germany as part of NATO's response, including some of the U.S.-based forces that the Department of Defense placed on standby weeks ago. I've also spoken with Defense Secretary Austin and Chairman of Joint Chiefs General Milley about preparations for additional moves should they become necessary to protect our NATO allies and support the greatest military alliance in the history of the world, NATO. As we respond, my administration is using the tools, every tool at disposal, to protect American families and businesses from rising prices at the gas pump. You know, we're taking active steps to bring down the cost, and American oil and gas companies should not, should not exploit this moment to hike their prices to raise profits. You know, in our sanctions package, we specifically designed to allow energy payments to continue. We are closely monitoring energy supplies for any disruption. We've been coordinating with major oil producing and consuming countries toward our common interest to secure global energy supplies. We are actively working with countries around the world to elevate collective release from the strategic petroleum reserves of major energy consuming countries. And the United States will release additional barrels of oil as conditions warrant. I know this is hard and that Americans are already hurting. I will do everything in my power to limit the pain the American people are feeling at the gas pump. This is critical to me. But this aggression cannot go unanswered. If it did, the consequences for America would be much worse. America stands up to bullies. We stand up for freedom. This is who we are. Let me also repeat the warning I made last week. If Russia pursues cyber attacks against our companies, our critical infrastructure, we are prepared to respond. For months, we've been working closely with, our pri with the private sector to harden their cyber defenses, sharpen our ability to respond to Russian cyber attacks as well. I spoke last night to President Zelensky of Ukraine, and I assured him that the United States, together with our allies and partners in Europe, will support the Ukrainian people as they defend their country. We'll provide you humanitarian relief to ease their suffering. And in the early days of this conflict, Russia propaganda outlets will keep trying to hide the truth and claim success for its military operation against a made-up threat. But history has shown time and again how swift gains in territory eventually give way to grinding occupations, acts of mass civil, mass civil disobedience, and strategic dead ends. The next few weeks and months, we hard on the people of Ukraine. Putin has unleashed a great pain on them. But the Ukrainian people have known 30 years of independence. And they have repeatedly shown that they will not tolerate anyone who tries to take their country backwards. This is a dangerous moment for all of Europe, for the freedom around the world. Putin has committed an assault on the very principles that uphold the global peace. But now, the entire world sees clearly what Putin and his, Kremlin, and, and his Kremlin allies are really all about. This was never about a genuine security concerns on their part. It was always about naked aggression, about Putin's desire for empire by any means necessary, by bullying Russia's neighbors through coercion and corruption, by changing borders by force, and ultimately by choosing a war without a cause. Putin's actions betray his sinister vision for the future of our world, 
one where nations take what they want by force. But it is a vision that the United States and freedom-loving nations everywhere will oppose with every tool of our considerable power. The United States and our allies and partners will emerge from this stronger, more united, more determined, and more purposeful. And Putin's aggression against Ukraine will end up costing Russia dearly, economically and strategically. We will make sure of that. Putin will be a pariah on the international stage. Any nation that countenances Russia's naked aggression against Ukraine will be stained by association. When the history of this era is written, Putin's choice to make a totally unjustifiable war on Ukraine will have left Russia weaker and the rest of the world stronger. Liberty, democracy, human dignity, these are the forces far more powerful than fear and oppression. They cannot be extinguished by tyrants like Putin and his armies. They cannot be erased by people, from people's hearts and hopes by any amount of violence and intimidation. They endure. In the contest between democracy and autocracy, between sovereignty and subjugation, make no mistake, freedom will prevail. God bless the people of a free and democratic Ukraine. May God protect our troops. Associated Press, Zeke. So do you have any plans to speak with President Putin at this point? And what interactions have you had with the Russian government? I heard the first part. Do I have any plans to speak with Putin at this point? And what? What communications have you had with the Kremlin authorities, uh, military operators of Ukraine, and making sure this does not spiral into a larger conflict? Well, it's a large conflict already. The way we're going to ensure it's not going to spiral to a larger conflict is by providing all the forces needed in the Eastern European nations that are members of NATO. NATO is more united than it's ever been. And I have no plans to talk with Putin. Uh, Wall Street Journal, Tarina. Mr. President, you didn't mention SWIFT in your sanctions that you announced. Is there a reason why the U.S. Uh, isn't doing that? Is there a disagreement among allies um, regarding SWIFT and whether uh, Russia should be allowed to be a part of it? The sanctions that we have proposed on all their banks have of equal consequence, maybe more consequence than SWIFT, number one. Number two, uh, it is always an option, but right now that's not the position that the rest of uh, Europe wishes to take. Um, uh, Cecilia Vega, ABC. Sir, sanctions clearly have not been enough to deter Vladimir Putin to this point. What is going to stop him? How and when does this end? And do you see him trying to go beyond Ukraine? And a second question I'll just give to you now. This statement that he gave last night, will, that the, West, the threat that he gave, the West will face consequences greater than any you have faced in history. Is he threatening a nuclear strike? I have no idea what he's threatening. I know what he has done, number one. And number two, no one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening. There has to show, this is going to take time, and we have to show resolve so he knows what's coming. And so the people of Russia know what he's brought on them. That's what this is all about. This is going to take time. It's not going to occur. He's going to say, oh, my God, these sanctions are coming. I'm going to stand down. He's going to test the resolve of the West to see if we stay together, and we will. We will, and it will impose significant costs on him.
Will he go beyond Ukraine, sir? Do you see him going beyond Yes. All right, two topics, just really quick. First, markets are down and gas prices are up. I know you always stress the difference between Wall Street and Main Street, but everybody seems to be in for some economic pain. How economically painful is it going to get for people in this country? And I do have one more question. First of all, there's no doubt that when a major nuclear power attacks and invades another country, that the world is going to respond and markets can respond all over the world. So there's no doubt about that, number one. Number two, the notion that this is going to last for a long time is highly unlikely as long as we continue to stay resolved in imposing the sanctions we're going to impose on Russia, period. What's the next question? I'm sorry. The next question is, did you underestimate Putin? And would you still describe him the way that you did in the summer as a worthy adversary? At the time, he was, I made it clear, as an adversary, and I said he was worthy. I didn't underestimate him. And I've read most of everything he's written. Did you read the, I shouldn't say, I'm not a wise guy. The, you, you heard the speech he made, almost an hour's worth of speeches, why he was going into Ukraine. He has much larger ambitions in Ukraine. He wants to, in fact, reestablish the former Soviet Union. That's what this is about. And I think that his, uh, his ambitions uh, are, are completely contrary to the place where the rest of the world has arrived. You're confident that these devastating sanctions are going to be as devastating as Russian missiles and bullets and tanks? Yes, Russian bullets, missiles, and tanks in Ukraine. Yes, I am. Thank you, President Biden. If sanctions cannot stop President Putin, what penalty can? I didn't say sanctions couldn't stop him. You've been talking about the threat of these sanctions for several weeks now. Yes, but the threat of the sanctions and imposing the sanctions and seeing the effect of the sanctions are two different things. Okay. They're two different things. And we're now going to, he's going to begin to see the effect of the sanctions. And what will that do? How will that change his mindset here, given he's because attacking Because it will so weaken his country that he'll have to make a very, very difficult choice as to whether to continue to move toward being a second-rate power or, in fact, respond. You said in recent weeks that big nations cannot bluff when it comes to something like this. You recently said that the idea of personally sanctioning President Putin was on the table. Is that a step that you're prepared to take? And if not, it's not a bluff, it's on the table. Sanctioning President Putin? Yes. Why not sanction him today, sir? Mr. President. Why not sanction him today, sir? Mr. President, if I can, you detailed some severe and swift new sanctions today and said the impact it will have over time. But given the full-scale invasion, given that you're not pursuing uh, disconnecting Russia from what's called SWIFT, the international banking system, or other sanctions at your disposal, Respectfully, sir, what more are you waiting for? Specifically, with the sanctions we've imposed exceed SWIFT. The sanctions we imposed exceed anything that's ever been done. The sanctions we imposed have generated two-thirds of the world joining us. They are profound sanctions. Let's have a conversation in another month or so to see if they're working. Can yes. About, can I ask you about Zelensky? Sir, you spoke to Vladimir Zelensky yesterday, sir. What, what's, the, what's the risk that we are watching the beginning of another Cold War, and is there now a complete rupture in U.S. and Russian relations? 
There is a complete rupture right now in U.S.-Russian relations if they continue on this path that they're on. And in terms of a Cold War, that depends. You have the vast majority of the rest of the world in total opposition to what he's doing, from Asia to South America to Europe to around the world. And so it's going to be a cold day for Russia. The idea, you don't see a whole lot of people coming to his defense. And are you, are you, if I could follow up, sir, are you urging China to help isolate Russia? Are you urging China to help isolate Russia? I'm not prepared to comment on that at the moment. No, no. Yeah. No, no, no. He's had his hand up a long time. Thank you, Mr. President. How concerned are you that uh, Putin wants to go beyond Ukraine into other countries and the U.S. will have to get involved if he moves into NATO countries? Well, if he did move into NATO countries, he will be involved. We will be involved. The only thing that I'm convinced of is if we don't stop now, he'll be emboldened. If we don't move against him now with these significant sanctions, he will be emboldened. And Look, you know, every, uh, well, anyway. And can you talk anything more about your conversation? Can you, can, Mr. President, Mr. President, why not, why not sanction Putin directly today? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Sir, India, which is a major defense partner of the United States, is India with fully with you on the issue of Ukraine and Russia? Does the Defense Department of the United States... Sir, India is one of your major defense partners. Is India fully in sync with the United States on, on Russia? We're, going to be, we're in consultation with, with India today. We haven't resolved that completely. One more question. Okay, thank you all very much. Thank you. This is WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. You've been listening to the President's address with, with regard to what's been going on in Ukraine. We're going to take a quick break, then we're going to be back and open up the phone lines to get your reaction to what you just heard. Again, you're listening to WTMJ Milwaukee. WTMJ, W277-CV, and WKTI-HD2 Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ, a good karma brand station. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, uh, you, you just heard President Biden talk about the, the various measures he intends to take today. I guess there are some more sanctions out there that he could potentially impose, but he said, you know, that that's not where some of the European allies are. 855-616-1620. What do you think about what you you just heard? Is he taking the right approach? And and let me get the ball started here. And I I understand that I understand that we are very, very divided politically. I, I get it. And and I've seen this, and it's been frustrating to me over the course of doing a radio program over the course of the last 15, 20, 25 years about how 
how polarized that we have become to the point that, okay, if it was something that Donald Trump wanted to do, because it was Donald Trump, it, it, it some people hated it and some people loved it. Whereas if it had been Barack Obama that had done the same thing, the other side would have loved it or, or hated it. So I, we've gotten, I think, very, very tribal with regard to how we look at things. And it, it's fine to be that way on, on a lot of a lot of issues, but this this is a big deal. This is a, a big deal, and it's an important point in world history. And, and I'm going to say this right now. I think President Biden had the right tone. I think that he's talking about significant sanctions. Don't know if they're going to work in the long term, but at the same time, I think it's very apparent that what he wants to do is he wants to try to build a coalition. He's not trying to get too far ahead of the European allies. And actually, I you can argue that you know maybe we, we should have done stuff like this six months ago. You can argue that maybe we should have done stuff like this two years ago. You can certainly argue that we should have done stuff like this in 2014 when Putin first moved into Crimea. But having said all that, I think the president struck the right tone today. And I think the things that he is talking about are are, are pretty much the limits of what he can do right now i was glad to hear the president say that look we're we're not getting into a shooting war you know we're we're not going to send troops to try to suppress this in Ukraine, but what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, work with our NATO allies. 855-616-1620. I don't know that there is anything more that you could have expected President Biden to say today, and and I think, again, I think he struck the right tone. 855-616-1620. Jeff, okay, here's some text. Jeff, that was so weak, it was pathetic. Obviously, Putin has the second largest economy in the world. No, he doesn't. And the one with the largest population supporting him. Um, no, um, let's see, Jeff. I thought it was uh, a goodish speech, not really strong. But just like Trump should stay off Twitter, Biden should still not take questions. I now worry about what happens next. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, obviously, when the world is not in agreement on all sanctions, obviously the the world is not in agreement on all the sanctions. Russia should be banned from using SWIFT. Some countries must not agree. Also, why won't he discuss China's intricate part in the world economy? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Uh, Claude from St. Francis says, President Biden can't deal with questions from the press. He didn't talk at all about military involvement. It was all about sanctions. I was disappointed in his so-called speech. Um, Jeff, a few takeaways. I'll give Biden the benefit of the doubt. The sanctions were just imposed, and I agree it'll take some time to see if they work. That's, that, that is all fair. And I think that the question that I keep Asking, and it's the question that I asked callers when we were talking about in this the first hour of the program was, what do you see as the end game, and and, and how how does this end up resolving itself? Because I think if we have learned nothing from our I don't know, the U.S. involvement in Vietnam, the U.S. involvement in Afghanistan. The question you always have to ask is, what is the end game for something like this? And where do you see this going? And right now, I think 
I don't know that anybody knows exactly what that end game is, although the president and the NATO allies, I think, have signaled very strongly that, look, um, you know, you start to move beyond the Ukraine, and you've got a very, very different story. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Mike. Hi, Mike. Good. What do you think? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Um, obviously, okay, it's a very difficult situation, very touchy, but... As I said yesterday, hello? Are you there? Yeah, go ahead. Jeff? Yeah, we're here. Go ahead, Mike. Okay. Go ahead, Mike. As I said yesterday. Okay. I think Biden, I think Biden, hello? <laughs> Jeez. Okay, sorry, Mike. We're going to have to drop you. We've got, we got some problems with your connection. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is it is a significant issue, but I, you, the question becomes, you know, what else would you expect Joe Biden to do? Certainly not to declare war on, on Russia over this, I would hope. Let's take a break. Back with more of your calls in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I, I think President Biden set a great tone today. Uh, I, I think uh, his speech was was strong and, and, and presidential. I think uh, he, he gave a message. He gave, gave the message he wanted to send to uh, Putin. The fact is, is that uh, the sanctions uh, are, are at this point are the only thing that we can do, and our allies can do. The fact, unless we want to uh, put troops on the ground and go to war with Putin over Ukraine, and 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 and, that, and I don't think that's what American people want to really want to do. So the fact is that we have to see if the sanctions are going to uh, stop Putin from from his aggression. And, and hopefully it does. But the point is, until he, he, he begins to go into uh, NATO countries, the fact is, uh, this is the only thing I think Putin can do. I mean, I mean that, that Biden can do at this point in time. But I think the fact is, is his speech is very effective as, as far as I'm concerned, presidential as I'm concerned. Do you think it's going to work? Do you think this will stop Putin's aggression if these sanctions go into effect? No, I think Putin. I think it's Putin. Putin, uh, Putin has, has made up his mind. He wants to annex a uh, uh, Ukraine and bring him back into the fold. But the fact is, is that uh, uh, if he goes beyond those particular borders, I think that I think uh, uh, other options need to be in play. But the fact is, is that uh, it's 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 no way. You know, if he doesn't realize that the, that the world is against him. And he continues with it. Uh, the fact is, but no, I don't think nothing. I don't think at this point in time, nothing's going to stop him from annexing uh, Ukraine. Yeah, Vincent, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I guess, see, I, I, I agree. I think I think Putin has has committed to this. Now, the one interesting kind of wild card in this is we, we assume that that the Russian people are united behind th- this action, and I don't know that that's a fair assumption. I mean, I know that just like when he invaded Crimea in 2014, there was this huge um, a disinformation campaign that was launched locally, and by locally I mean in Russia, to try to convince people that th- this, this was in response to acts of aggression, etc. I know they're trying the same thing now. One of the things, and I want to give Biden credit for this, one of the things that the Biden administration has been doing is they have been releasing the intelligence information and predicting Putin's moves before he makes those moves and saying, this is what we're being told, this is what we're being told. And I think the reason 
reason we are doing that, in part, is to and I'll get the word out to the extent you can to the Russian people that look, we this is this is all sort of a false flag effort that, that's going on there. And this this isn't because of aggression. This isn't because of threats to to Russians um, as a sovereign nation. This is a pure war of aggression. So a lot of the stuff you're hearing from the government is, is just not accurate. And you're you're already seeing demonstrations in Russia where there's a lot of people out there who who aren't buying into this whole thing and i think to the extent ukraine resists and 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 they will resist and there's going to be russian troops that lose their lives and there's going to be ukrainian troops that lose their lives and there's going to be civilians that lose their lives but to the extent that that this becomes known in the soviet union i think it has the potential for a weakening putin domestically to the extent the sanctions hit home that has the effect of weakening Putin domestically now I am not naive enough to think that suddenly there's going to be you know another revolution and and Putin gets tossed out at the same time if these economic sanctions start undermining a lot of his supporters maybe you don't stop the Ukraine aggression but maybe what you do is you you stop or deter him from perhaps moving further which is really where you get into issues let's take a quick break back with more in just a minute this is Jeff Wagner WTMJ this is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ now while I have been I think supportive of the president I think we all need to be supportive of the president in this regard and while I I have I think that he's striking the right tone I I will tell you something that in my opinion should have been in that speech that that isn't and and this from a political perspective is going to be one of the tough things for for Joe Biden look as, as we've been talking about before unlike China which is a much more complicated deal because China is a manufacture stuff. China is a huge trade partner. You look at a lot of the supply chain shortages we have and why it's because you can't get computer chips coming over from China and things like that. That's not Russia. Russia's economy is based almost exclusively on on the production of, of oil and you know natural gas and things of the like. So if you're going to hit Russia What you want to do is a number of things that that the president was talking about, but what you really want to do is you want to take away the dependence that other parts of the world have on Russia for for energy. And and that's why we we talk about this this Nord Stream 2 pipeline that Germany was going to, you know, that Germany was uh, going ahead and sanctioning that would have allowed Russia to send, you know, natural gas or oil or whatever directly into Germany. Okay, so that's now been on hold. But but here's the other thing. If you really want to hit Russia, and and it's something that President Biden could do with the snap of his fingers, but he's I think he's constrained a little bit because of his politics, and that is he, he could he could open up, for example, finish the Keystone Pipeline. You know that would send Russia a message that America is committed to energy independence. I mean, if if you want to really hit Russia hard, besides all the sanctions, what you do. Because you say, okay, we're, we're going to turn on the spigots, and, and what we're going to do is we are going to do everything we can to reduce 
the dependency that maybe the rest of the world might have on on the the what is your principal export, which would be be oil. And I think that that's an important thing that you could that you could do along you know with all this. You need to have that deterrent. You need to send a strong message. And even if it means, gee, you might upset some of the environmentalists here. I think you have to recognize that the global picture says to the to the extent that the U.S. can help the world and the United States reduce everybody's energy dependence on Russia, that's the thing to do right now. So you need to encourage some of these countries to to get off their dependency on, on Russian oil. Maybe we look at other things, and we've talked about this on the program before, I mean, looking at other things like e- even, even nuclear power or things like that. Uh, look, people are all over the map on our text here. Jeff, I'm sure Putin anticipated and prepared for the sanctions to be imposed, so I don't think they will deter or stop him at all. In this case, all he has to do is wait until our coalition starts getting greedy and breaks ranks. Well, that's that's always the issue that's out there. The question is, um, are are people going to be united in stopping this, or does Putin think, okay, it's going to be a tough six months, it's going to be a tough year, it's going to be a tough year and a half, but sooner or later, Germany is going to want our oil, so they're going to give in to this. That's that's one of the issues that's that's out there. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right, now we, we were talking about you know Russia essentially being a, a gas station for for the world, and there's no question that what's going to happen as, as a result of what is going on in U- Ukraine is going to have an impact on costs because it's there is a global economy for everybody who is part of the American for America first group and thinks that we, we have no involvement and what do we care about what goes on in Ukraine and things like that well it's when you disrupt global supply that affects the the economy of this country for example right now in California for example the average price of gasoline the average price is about four dollars and 75 cents a gallon if you are filling up in Los Angeles, you're, you're looking at paying over five dollars a gallon. Our very own Melissa Barkley, you know, did a piece that uh, the projections are that you know we're we're all going to be seeing four bucks a gallon in Wisconsin as of of the spring, and, and after that, you know, who exactly knows? And that's one of the reasons I was talking about the need to uh, again increase our energy independence, get more gas, get more oil flowing, and that's why I think it, it's imperative on, on the president, even though it might alienate some of his core environmental groups. It's important to do things like open up the um, open up the Keystone pipeline and things like that. But we're looking now at about. $4 a gallon, like I say, at, at the pump. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, here's, here is my question. The, the increase in price that we're paying at the pump, and, and part of it is the supply and demand issue, part of it is the fact that we are in an inflationary moment right now, so costs are going up in general, but at what point in time is there a certain dollar amount where you know gas prices really start to to hurt. Now I, we talked about this years ago. 
when you had the explosion in gas prices. And, you know, I, I would say right around $4 a gallon for gasoline is where it really started to impact on, on people. And, and by impact, I mean it started to make people evaluate driving choices. And it started to make people have to make tough choices about, okay, are, are we going to take multiple trips or are we going to take car trips or things of the like? What is that dollar amount where gasoline at the pump really starts to hurt? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it $4 a gallon? Is it $5 a gallon? Is it $6 a gallon? At what point does the price at the pump really make a difference? 855-616-1620. Back to discuss in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, Melissa Barkley doing a report where experts say we're probably going to see $4 per gallon at the pump in Wisconsin by the spring. Already in California, the average gasoline price is $4.75 a gallon. In some parts of the state, like Los Angeles, it's over 5 bucks. At what point does this start to hurt? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Mike in Holy Hill. Mike, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hey, I, I got through earlier, and um, I would just like to make another comment about the fuel cost. Um, I remember during the Obama administration, my company consumes a lot of fuel. It runs on fuel. Cost of fuel goes up for me. Cost of fuel goes up for the consumer. Now, eventually, we end up losing a lot of work because people can't afford to have the work done because they're spending extra money on fuel. It just it goes full circle. During Obama administration, diesel for our pickup trucks was over five a gallon. And it it made a huge impact on our bottom line. I mean, it's not just like a recreational type thing. This is what runs our country. It's gonna it's gonna kill the average consumer as far as inflation goes on prices of everything from food to whatever toilet paper, you name it. It's gonna impact yeah, us big time. Yeah, thanks for the call, Mike. No, that see that's that's the thing, and and you make a very very good point because it's not simply the impact of when you go to the, the pump and you got to pay four dollars or four fifty or five dollars or whatever it is to fill up your car, but it's I mean dr- drive on the highways nowadays and look at look at all the trucks that are out there. Look how stuff gets to different places. Well, you know all those trucks. I mean they they run on fuel as well. So when you increase the cost cost of the fuel, that increases the cost that it takes to deliver all those goods to the supermarket or to the big box retail or whatever. And the effect of all this is that prices end up going through the roof. It's a, it's a vicious cycle. Um, it's, okay, you, you sign up with a lawn care service that comes out and, and cuts your lawn or, or whatever. Well, that lawn care service, they, how, how do they power their the stuff that they use? Their lawnmowers run on gasoline and things like that. And you will remember back when we had the last spike 
gasoline prices, you had a number of businesses that ended up putting on fuel surcharges on, on your bill in order to help offset their costs. So just everything goes through it. Um, Jeff, 350 a, a gallon hurts me. I run a har, um, I run a har, I run a hobby, um, firm. Jeff, at 350, 350 a gallon, you know, we've already passed the acceptable price threshold. Energy prices are driving inflation and, you know, I believe it's a result of Biden's foolish green energy nonsense. Well, part of it is because of the, the, the green energy push, but now, again, to borrow that cliche, those chickens are coming home to roost because now you see, you know, the worldwide stuff that's going on. You see the supply chain shortages. You see all of it's coming together in the inflationary environment, and costs are going through the roof. Jeff, uh, this is from Laura in Las Vegas. It's already over four bucks here in Vegas. I just left Costco, and the line for gas was out the parking lot. Yeah, let's see. She sends me a picture. Um, Las Vegas, the Costco which is normally like they, they try to artificially keep the prices low, $4.05 a gallon. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, I have a service company. Trucks get 11 to 13 miles per gallon. Just had to raise service calls price just to show up as well as the labor rate. Um, I, I think, you know, we need to get more oil domestically. Jeff, yes, Jeff, um, my my semi gets six miles per gallon. I paid four oh five this morning already for a gallon of diesel. Jeff, I just filled up yesterday at three dollars and twenty five cents a gallon. It cost me sixty one bucks for eighteen point seven seven gallons. So if it got to four bucks a gallon, that would hurt a lot more. Right, right. And these are, you know, we we talk a lot about regressive taxes, and I know I've mentioned this before. A, a a regressive tax is something that hits lower income people more than hits upper income people. So, and and I think you know when you look at what goes on prices at the pump, that's about as regressive a quote unquote tax as, as you could have. Because the truth of the matter is, if you have somebody who's better off financially, you know they're not going to like paying four dollars a gallon, but they can afford to pay four dollars a gallon. In contrast, if you have somebody who's on the lower end of the economic scale, and, and all of a sudden you've got to pay four dollars a gallon instead of two dollars a gallon, well, you know that that ends up being real choices. If you're you, if you're paying twenty to twenty five dollars more a, a week just simply to, to fill up your car, to run your errands, and to get around, what that ends up meaning is that you're going to have to make decisions. You're going to have to make these decisions and decide, okay, um, gee, where where is that $25 extra a week going to come from? Is it going to come from cutting back on food purchases? Is, does that mean I'm not going to go out to dinner? What, what exactly is that going to mean? Jeff, um, I'm an I, I am I'm an Uber driver. I am extremely concerned about this. Jeff, there's a story in the New York Post that if oil hits $150 a barrel, and right now it's over 100, it'll be seven bucks a gallon. Wow, seven bucks a gallon. This morning, Jeff, I paid two dollars and ninety-nine cents a gallon at Costco in Menominee Falls. I anticipate by day's end this will increase. Um, yeah, Jeff, I'm a delivery driver. I missed the $100 mark today by $4.31 um, for my delivery van. Huh. 
Um, you know, um, wow. Jeff, my prediction is OPEC will announce a production increase soon. Well, that would be an opportunity. Jeff, we don't see how much our stuff is on a truck. Last week we saw it firsthand driving through Indiana. The other side of I-65 was blocked. We saw 10 miles of traffic blocked. 90% of the vehicles on the road were semis. Yeah, that's, that's certainly one of the cases as well that, that's out there. You just, you know, drive drive the interstate. You know, sometime. You know, go through go through Chicago and get on I sixty five or I seventy five and further south and stuff. Just do do the Indiana Tollway. You know, do the Pennsylvania Tollway. You will be absolutely stunned stunned at the number of trucks out. All those trucks are going to have to be paying. You know, more and more money for the gasoline which or the diesel fuel or whatever which means that we're going to be paying more and more and more for the stuff that those things are delivering now i mean for anybody who thought that that inflation for example was going to be transitory i just um i i just don't think that that's the case at all and it's a very very unfortunate situation but it's definitely the situation that we find ourselves in right now and I, I don't know that there's an easy way out of it although I do think the president would be well advised to start again and I appreciate we've got the green energy pitch and you watch the Super Bowl and, and all you see is ads for electric cars, and maybe that will be the wave of the future at some point in time, but then you, you still have to figure out how you're going to produce the electricity. But we're definitely not there now. Jack in Caledonia. Jack, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, you know, basically with all the uh, extra money you put in the, into the fuel tank, people aren't going to be going out to restaurants, you know, buying flowers, you know, going to the hardware store and buying extra tools or Things of that, that nature. If everybody remembers when uh, oil prices were high and gas prices were around four bucks, these industries were suffering. And now with the pandemic ending, they're just coming back, and they look like they're going to get a double whammy here. Um, yeah, yeah th- thanks for the call, Jack. No, you're 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 exactly right, and I think that's that's one of the operative concerns that, that's out there as as you look at all this. And again, it's I, I go back to my my basic premise of all this is is for some people, I think they're they're looking at this and saying, well, why why are we talking about the U- Ukraine? Why why are we worried about this stuff? You know, what what difference does this make? We we want to be America first. And I understand the whole idea behind America first, but we are in fact a global economy, and things that happen in in Eastern Europe have a direct impact on us and this is the classic example of that I think and I've always believed this four dollars is kind of a, that's sort of the pain level once you hit four dollars a gallon that's kind of where I think people really start to pay attention and wonder okay what what's going on here and more importantly start to end up changing their behavior that is consolidating trips and maybe that's a good thing but also cutting back some of their spending Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Don't know if you saw this story, but, you know, we, we had a primary election a couple weeks ago. The Wauwatosa clerk in the city of Wauwatosa, apparently they lost 58 ballots, 58 unopened and lawfully cast absentee ballots the primary was February 15th. They found them the other day. <laughs> they found 32 in one district and 26 in the other. And this, 
I mean, first of all, again, how, how can you miss ballots? How could this end up happening? But the interesting thing is, in, in a race for alder person where you're picking two of three candidates, what happened is the 16-year incumbent had lost by just two votes to the second-place finisher, and I think the first-place finisher had 10 more votes than the second-place finisher. So they're all bunched up together, and all of a sudden you get these 58 unopened and lawfully cast absentee ballots that are now found. Now, in many cases, you, you have to keep this all in perspective, in, in a statewide election, for example, it's extremely unlikely that the election is going to be decided by, by 58 votes. But one thing we know about Wisconsin is that elections tend to be close. And in a situation where you've got a, a primary where you know each of the candidates gets about 220 votes, give or take, 58 votes makes a big difference. So what they did is they opened these 58 votes at these ballots today. And again, the, the third place finisher going into the opening of these ballots was only two votes short of the second place. So if that person, the third place finisher, would have picked up three votes out of the 58, it, it would have changed, you know, who goes on. Well, bottom line is it, it didn't change anything. What ended up happening is actually the third place finisher actually ended up losing by five votes instead of two. So it didn't change the result of the election, but it certainly had the potential to do that, which, again, raises this question. Look, I, I understand elections aren't perfect. I don't believe that every time you have an irregularity or you have a mistake, that's fraud or things like that. But um, whatever happened in Wauwatosa just, just can't be allowed to happen because one of the big things we argue about all the time is election integrity. And I'm the guy that says, look, it's important to move on from 2020 and we can't obsess with things like that. And, yes, I, I believe that the election – you know, the results were as the voters voted them. But there's a lot of concerns about election integrity, which means from the perspective of, say, village clerks and stuff, you've you got to be more careful. And I, I understand that this is probably a mistake, but 58 ballots in a very, very close election that go missing for, you know, the better part of a week and a half, that's simply unacceptable. Now, in this case, like I say, it's no harm, no foul, no results were changed, but they really got to do better. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. This is kind of an interesting note. And, and for many of us in the United States, you, you, it, you, people don't see it necessarily as a big deal. But um, soccer worldwide they call it you know football outside the united states really really is a big deal it's the dominant world sport and the the champions league which is a very very big deal what happens is in in europe the it, it depends on which country it, it is but for example in england the top 4 english Team, in teams in English football, English soccer, they advance to the, the Champions League. And what happens is the games start being played in, in the fall, and then ultimately they end up with the championship to determine who is the champion of Europe. And it's, it is a ton of money that, that's involved in this. Well, again, maybe people won't see this as a reaction, but um, this year the Champions League final 
was supposed to be held in St. Petersburg, and so you would have in Russia. So you would have you know people from all over the world coming. It, it's sort of like the, the Super Bowl, um, except you know it's in Europe. So it was scheduled to be in St. Petersburg. Well, apparently, um, what they've announced is the Champions League final is not going to be played there as a result of Russia attacking U- Ukraine. What they're going to do is they're going to they're going to move it you know someplace else. Again, I, I think. People would say, oh, it's a big deal. They're moving the, this. What's the big deal? They're moving a soccer game. And, and it is. I, I, under, I understand in the overall view it's perhaps a, a small step, but it's another one of these economic sanctions. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, if your community gets the Super Bowl, that's a big deal. If your community gets, I don't know, the Republican National Convention or the Democratic National Convention, that's a big deal. If you have the, the Champions League final where people from all over the world are going to be pouring in, that's a big deal. And um, UEFA, which is the, the governing body of soccer, they, they just pulled it. And I think that that's they, they deserve credit for doing that. It's a small step, but I think you're going to see the international community continue to take more of those steps. For what it's worth, the stock market appears to be reacting positively to President Biden's remarks. When I came on the air, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down somewhere in the neighbor of 700 points or so. I think at the worst point today, it was down about 800 in response to the, the Russian aggression in Ukraine. The, the NASDAQ was down big. Right now, the NASDAQ is up almost 300 points, and the Dow Jones, while still down, it's down 138 points. That's a far cry from being down six or seven or 800. So I I think that the remarks the president made, and I I understand that, that if you're listening to my program, you've got a political perspective. I, I get it. And you, you listen to hear my political perspective. And there's no secret where I stand on various issues. But I, I do believe, and I say this again, I thought President Biden struck the right tone. I know there's some people who think he needed to be more aggressive. There's some people who probably think he was too aggressive. There's some people who would have liked to have seen him uh, do more. Some people do less. doesn't matter. I thought he struck the right tone. And at least right now, the markets on the day that the invasion actually happens. The markets have been going down pretty relentlessly, not just because of inflation, but also because of this uncertainty in the Ukraine. Now that it's happened, you would have thought maybe today was the day that you were going to actually see the markets plunge. And right now, the NASDAQ, like I say, up about almost 300 points. And the Dow, while it's down, it's not down big. And I think think President Biden had a calming effect and, and he took the measured approach that I think a lot of us would like to see him take, which isn't to say that you might need to do more things later. All right. I, I don't want to sound like Groundhog's Day, but we I think maybe it was Monday's show or, or last week, Friday, we talked about this. But I, I, I want to revisit it because it's one of these ongoing frustrations that I have. I am a baseball fan. I I, I, I Look, I work at a radio station that's a flagship station for the Brewers. But beyond that, I have a 20-game season ticket package. I enjoy baseball. I think I could make a – somebody was asking me what my favorite sport is. And, and to me, it would be between football and, and baseball, but probably baseball. And I, I love the rhythm of baseball. I, I love the fact that you've got a 162-game season and that, you know, you can depend on the fact that, oh, it's 7 o'clock at night, you know, the game is going to be played and you can hear Bob Euchre on the radio. I, I love that as the, the soundtrack of, of a summer. And I was frustrated – 
two years ago when COVID pretty much canceled the season other than from an abbreviated sort of thing. I was a little bit frustrated last year where even though you had fans in the stands, you, you didn't have full fans in the stands till what, two-thirds of the way through the season or halfway through the season or, or whatever. And, and it was good to start seeing baseball get back to normal. Well, okay, here we are. Uh, the major league owners locked out the players at the end of last year. Why would they lock them out? It's because the contract is expiring and the major league owners, they didn't want the players to go on strike in the middle of the summer, which is where it would really have an even greater impact. So they said, okay, we're going to lock you out. We're not going to open training camp until we get a deal. So that was 84 days ago. So now we're in a point where spring training games are being canceled. Um, If you... If you had plans to go to, I don't know, travel to Arizona to watch the the Brewers play, or the example that I was giving is I I know friends in Fort Myers and, um, for example, who, 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 that's where the Red Sox and the Twins have their spring training. So we know all these different things. And and these are all people who are now, they, they would work at the stadiums, they're out of jobs, all that sort of stuff. If opening day is in jeopardy, well, it, it's not really the owners and the players, but it's really all the people that work at American Family Field, from the people who are selling beer to the people that are doing the parking. It's all the little people who've really been kind of messed over in a big way over the last couple of years. I mean, that's one of the things that have been going on. So it's day 84 of the lockout. Now Major League Baseball is saying, unless we get an agreement essentially by by Monday, which is the end of February, then we're going to have to start canceling games. All right, I, I don't want to go into the particulars of who's right and who's wrong and you know whether you should be eligible for salary arbitration after two years or two and a half years or three years or whether the minimum salary for a first person that signs a contract should be forty six grand or fifty five grand. I, I mean th- those those are conversations that you have again in, in internally but all i know is this there is this huge pot of money that is out there and, and the owners are making a fortune and the players are making a fortune and really the only people who get shafted in a big way if you, you don't open the season on time or you don't have the spring training games it's it's the fans it's the people who work at the stadium it's the people who you know um work at the restaurants and the bars around the stadium they're the ones that get hurt our number is 855-616-1620 i remember the last labor strike strike that they had in baseball in 1990 and I tell you, I think it took a while for that sport to recover. I think there's some people who still, who never came back after that. And maybe there's a new generation of fans out there. But I'm ready to say a pox on both their houses. If they don't get it done and opening day does not occur when it's supposed to occur at the end of March and they have to start canceling games, are the fans going to forgive them, or is this going to be just a dramatic blow to the business of baseball? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Oh, okay, I just... I think this is a situation where people, 
you know, the, the owners and the players are making a huge, huge mistake because there is so much money. Now, now here's one of the textures, and I'm wondering if this, again, I, I have people who text in who sometimes I, I think they just want to disagree for the sake of being disagreeable. How do you know the owners are making a fortune? Revenues are a matter of public record, but income, by my understanding, is not. Quite sure many clubs had losses last year. Well, okay. All right, for example, it, it's not just a question of, you know, what, what was your revenue in a given year, but, but here's the deal. For example, the Brewers Ownership Group, when they brought the, bought the Brewers, they paid approximately $220 million for them. The, the team is now worth over a billion dollars. So anybody, it, it may very well be from year to year that you might have on paper, and I say on paper, an, an operating loss, but the business of baseball is absolutely booming. The value of your investment, if you are a major league owner, is going through the roof when you decide that, that you're going to, to sell that. So don't, I'm sorry, nope, do not cry, I will not cry a river for the owners of baseball who are, are I think, as a general rule, they're becoming rich beyond the dreams of avarice. I'm not, I'm not siding for the players here either because the players end up making a fortune as well. But to look at, well, gee, this team lost X amount of dollars in a given year while the value of the franchise increased, it's kind of like saying, well, gee, I, I've got a house that's gone up in value a half a million dollars since I bought it, and gee, I had to, I had to put a new roof on, and that cost me 20000 in one year. Well, oh, okay, y- yes, maybe that's the case, but at the end of the day, when you get around to selling your house, you're going to get that money. Jeff, I'm a Democrat. I don't necessarily share your political views all the time. I listen because I think you're a really good host. Well, that's good. I won't lose a wink of sleep if baseball doesn't start. I feel bad for the little guy. I feel bad for the little guy as well. Jeff, I used to be like you, but after 94, I was and am still not going to be listening to baseball. Since 94, I have seen only four games. Um, yeah, I, I think that's it. Jeff, very frustrating. I was hoping to get to a game for the first time in years this summer. But um, plus, in the whole world perspective with Ukraine, maybe we should all adjust our particular focus. Well, that, that's the thing. It, you know, sports at the end of the day is a diversion. I, I mean, that's, and that's one thing that owners and players need to realize. It, it's a a diversion. The, the Packers flame out in the, their first playoff game, and we're all really, really bummed out. You know that they didn't go to the Super Bowl. Okay, if you're a Packers fan, you're, you're bummed out about that. But you know what? That the sun came up that that next day. <laughs> that this and the sun came up the day afterwards. And my, my guess is you you drove to work, and maybe over the water cooler, you, you talked a little bit about it with your friends, and you were upset about it or whatever. And, and then you went on with your life. Sports end up being a, a diversion, and when it comes to baseball in particular baseball to me is a it's a habit and it's one of those things that you now i i appreciate that maybe um i I think that that maybe there there's people who uh, again that that just they'll be able to pick it up and and maybe there's that fan that says oh i I, you know i I look at a game every year and i'm not going to care but i think for a lot of us it's a daily thing We, we try to follow what's going on and and we enjoy it and people end up falling out of that habit and it becomes a a big deal lots of stuff is a habit i mean look i i I hope that listening to my radio program is a habit people 
get used to the fact after all these years that you tune on, turn on WTMJ at, at 12 o'clock and it's, it's going to be the Wagner show till 3 o'clock. And, and, and that's why I always feel a responsibility to whenever I can to, to, to be here because, you know, you, you get used to it. You fall out of the habits. You find other things that, that interest you or that you end up doing. And then it's always tougher to get people back. Jeff, why anybody cares one ounce about these overpaid, underworked, crybaby snowflakes is beyond me. I walked away from all sports when um, the players made it political. Jeff, um, it's really hard to care about greedy rich owners or rich players, especially when the people who work at the parks will be even, even less able to afford $4 plus gas. It's the greed makes me not interested in major sports. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, see, that's that's definitely one of the factors that, that's out there, and that's where my heart goes out in all this thing. Again, it's it's too... It's to all the people who aren't in a situation where they're going to be losing the money. They're the ones who aren't going to be getting the, the dough. Jeff, I'm a big baseball fan and a season ticket holder. It's just a game. Russia is murdering people today. Reset the compass and figure it out. Jeff, since COVID, I learned how to do other things instead of watching baseball, so I don't necessarily feel that I really need to watch it again. Well, I, I hope that's not the case because I want to see people um, – I want to see people. I mean, I love baseball. It's a great pastime. Again, it's a soundtrack of the summer for me. But I'm going to tell you something. If, if given the fact that you've got this huge pie that is out there to be divided, and, and we're arguing about slices for extremely well compensated players, when like one of our texters was saying, we're worried about four dollars a dollar gas or five dollars a gallon gas, or spiking prices when it comes to cars or all these other things, and the cost of food and milk and all that stuff at the grocery store, yeah. And look at all that stuff, and you want to just you, you'd like to walk into the meetings, and they're going on, I believe, in Florida. He'd like to just kind of walk into the meetings and go, don't you people collectively realize what it is you are doing to the ultimate consumers of your product? Get your butts together, work out an equitable agreement, and move on. It is embarrassing. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.